we can't continue to necessarily operate like we operated during a time of non-pandemic. And so having compassion and grace uh, with ourselves and with each other and understanding the need for flexibility. We can't get all the things done we wanted to. The semester I planned is not the semester that's happening. My students aren't going to do every single thing I wanted. But let's not focus on that, that kind of achievement orientation and instead focus on a kind of uh, yeah, mutual support, mutual aid orientation and see where it gets us. I'm Emily Shields. I'm Andrew Seligson. And I'm Marisol Morales. And you're listening to Compact Nation Podcast. How's everybody doing today at home? Have not have not figured out a good answer to that question. <laughs> Other than maybe surviving. Surviving. Surviving's good. I'm surviving and advancing, I'd say, you know, at a slow pace. But uh, yeah, it's we we had to adjust here uh, in Roxbury to two of us working in one space that has worked reasonably well. We've gotten used to basically like we both talk loud on calls and that's just part of life and you get used to it. Uh, yeah. Uh, for me, it feels a, a little bit normal. I've been working home for a while, uh, at home for a while since actually I started this position. And so uh, I've got my setup pretty uh, in gear, but it is hard, you know, not being able to kind of go out and see friends. And, um, and you know, I just turned in my manuscript for my dissertation and had Congratulations. to thank you, do my celebration uh, with my squad via, <laughs> via Zoom. So. <laughs> Whatever it takes. Whatever it takes. But yeah. So, well, I hope everyone out there uh, in Compact Nation is safe and taking care of family uh, and yourselves and just following, you know, guidelines so that we can make it through um, this pandemic. We know that it's not easy and people have had to adapt rather quickly. Um, But, you know, we can do it and we'll come out of this uh, stronger than ever. What are some of the things that you all have seen kind of in the last couple of weeks uh, in regards to the the pandemic and, you know, what some of the community responses are? I've been stunned both. I mean, just thinking about the higher education sector in particular, how uh, extraordinarily rapidly everything has happened. Like, I know that's been true in a lot of sectors, but in many sectors, it was about sort of closing things down. And in higher education, this just the fact that so many people worked so quickly to evacuate students, to get online learning happening, in many cases to support students who would not have the resources to suddenly pivot their lives and go somewhere else. Um, You know, just seeing extraordinary efforts in that way. We'll talk more about this, but lots of focus on maintaining community engagement work in the ways that are possible. Um, and then we've just seen some institutions really step forward. Uh, you know, I, I wrote a blog post where I talked about Tufts University, which essentially has transformed the entire institution into a facility to serve the healthcare needs of the community as, as we go through this. But I just posted on my own Facebook page, like, is your campus doing this with a link to that story? And tons of people on all different universities said, basically, yes, we are. So, you know, I think lots of institutions have been very nimble um, and lots of people very 
uh, again, higher education is not usually known for its speed and nimbleness and uh, that kind of rapid real-time creativity. And so to see it has been uh, very cheering to me. Yeah, absolutely. How about you, Emily? Yeah, it's a lot of the same things. I mean, campus is stepping up, whether it's, you know, their 3D printers for making face masks and and PPE, as we all know, it's called now um, and that kind of thing. And also trying to find ways to make sure that we're encouraging students to to reflect in this moment. You know, we're in the middle of a crisis that's affected every single aspect of life. So I think that whatever subject you're teaching, there's a way to connect learning to the current moment, which I think is really valuable and worth a lot of time. And I know, Andrew, you shared in your post some resources that McAllister College pulled together to help think about reflection and mutual aid and and lots of things along those lines. So um, that's been really impressive to me. And even just with our own AmeriCorps members, we have over 150 members across Iowa and Minnesota. Um, it's been a very challenging moment for them, but they're sticking with it. In some cases, shifting to remote work in very different situations, and in some cases, shifting to direct service and stepping up to be a part of food delivery and um, things that are really necessary in this moment to make sure people can survive and thrive. So that's been really impressive for me as well. Yeah, I think for me, it's also seeing the way that uh, communities are adapting themselves, right? They don't, higher ed has had a lot of this equipment and, you know, this um, online programming and, and, and services, you know, already built in and had spent a fair amount of time transitioning to at least a portion of their teaching online. So I think it was a little bit um, easier for them with the infrastructure, but, you know, the ways that school districts are starting to, to pull this together, community partners starting to, to think differently, creating those opportunities, um, and just, you know, regular people in neighborhoods thinking about how do we help our neighbors and, and support each other. Um, so one of the things that we've done is create a, a space on our uh, compact uh, uh, website where folks can st- share stories around uh, mutual aid moments. So we encourage folks to go to our website or uh, check out uh, Andrew's blog at the bottom of it. There's a link to share your mutual aid moments. Those can be in the form of videos or pictures with uh, some caption to it, but you know some ways that we can share and gather all of the stories of mutual aid that are happening in, in our communities would be great. So it's compact.org, and the blog post is right on the front page right now, or compact.org slash mutual dash aid dash moments. And we'll put a link uh, in the show notes, I would think, as well, so people can find it that way. So yeah, we'd love to love to hear things you know about that are happening out there so we can share them with the world. So we um, put a call out to our listeners to call uh, and leave a voicemail about some of the ways that they've been adapting um, during the COVID-19 crisis, particularly around service learning, community engagement, uh, and online teaching uh, on their campuses. And so right now you'll hear a series of um, those calls that we've had, one right after the other, and then we'll be right back with you. You have reached the call in line for the Compact Nation podcast. Please leave us your question or idea about community-based teaching, research, and partnerships 
in the face of coronavirus or other disasters, real or imagined. If you leave us a recording, we uh, also will assume that you are giving us permission to use that recording on the air. So thank you very much, and you can leave your message after the tone. Hello, Campus Compact friends. Thank you for the podcast and the opportunity to chime in on community engagement in this time of crisis. Uh, my name is Jalissa Espinosa, and I'm calling from the University of Laverne. I am the director for the Office of Civic and Community Engagement. And I'm just, I feel so blessed to be surrounded by, by all of, um, all of you and different engaged communities and faculty members. And my heart is content with the surge of support and creativity that is, that is, that is being shared with everyone. Um, I know that at, at the University of Laverne, we responded by reducing the required service hours from 20 to 15 hours of service for this semester only. And we also focused many of our assignments and projects on the reading materials, more on the theoretical um, side of community engagement instead of the physical service experience to do our part with social distancing. Um, also, something that I've been thinking about is just um, these the, the idea of virtual communities. Um, I know that that during these this unprecedented time, um, it's a great opportunity to look at our community beyond a geographical location, which is what we're used to, and reflect on what it means to have virtual communities and how these virtual communities make it possible for us to connect or not. Um, and also, what does it mean to have a virtual voice and a presence? Um, because it is definitely new to many of us. Um, it's, I also think this is another great opportunity um, to be more civically engaged. Um, the census is here, election, it's an election year, and I think it's a great opportunity to mobilize everyone to participate and have a voice from the comfort of your home. So I'm curious to to hear what other people are doing to be civically engaged, to, you know, get the vote out, get people to, to um, complete their census and so forth. So those are my my two cents. Looking forward to hearing the whole podcast and, like I said, um, everybody's ideas and and support. Thank you so much. Hi, this is Becca Berkey calling from Northeastern University, uh, where I serve as the director for community engaged teaching and research. And um, you know, this has been a really challenging time to think about the best ways for us to. Um, continue to honor the ongoing partnerships that we have with a multitude of community partners while um, they are, you know, dealing with an unprecedented um, crisis in their own operations as well. And so um, the biggest things that we have been doing um, in the last couple of weeks as this all has unfolded is first and foremost, just, you know, personally reaching out to every person in our network to see where they're at, um, check in with our partners, check in with our faculty members, track that information, um, see where they're able to honor um, where they were at in the semester and able to move that forward in a virtual environment and where they, you know, maybe are are not able to continue with with what they were what they were working on together. Um, and then more than that, we are trying to think about ways that we can adapt some of our systems that we use to uh, facilitate 
community-engaged teaching and research um, during the academic school year um, to be more nimble and fluid in bringing together university expertise with community um, goals and, and the sorts of things that our community is navigating currently, uh, whether that be taking advantage of, you know, small business loans or that be, um, you know, trying to adapt and move their operations online. Um, you know, clearly our universities have folks that, you know, have expertise in these areas, have insight, have background. Um, and, you know, I think pairing, pairing folks up and thinking about ways that we can adapt our systems to um, fluidly respond to these times um, and leverage the strengths that that we had to lift what the community is trying to trying to accomplish um, and the things that it's also struggling with um, in the face of this challenge. Um, so that's that's where we are at. Uh, happy happy to answer any sorts of questions um, and hopefully this is helpful. And I hope you all are doing well. Take care. Bye bye. Hey, this is Dave Harker, uh, director of the Center for Civic Engagement at Ithaca College. Uh, please excuse the sounds of Sesame Street in the background, trying to balance childcare and work from home right now. Um, but I uh, had some thoughts to share. I saw Marisol put out the, the call for how folks are adapting to uh, everything going on with COVID-19. Um, I want to share a little bit about what we're doing with uh, my class. I teach um, the civic engagement seminar and honors program that I see right now, and it's a very project-oriented course. Uh, students define um, an issue that they're really passionate about that they want to work on for uh, semester. It's um, using some of the social action framework that Scott Myers Lipton uh, and some of the Bonner Network have been um, doing a lot of work around in the last couple of years. Um, it's also designed to build from semester to semester. So students, uh, their final product is designed to be a campaign notebook that can be passed on to the next group of students if, if other folks are interested in doing that. So it's a mix of some ongoing projects, some new ones this semester. But um, they, it's um, unsurprisingly, like most folks, uh, faced a major disruption, and uh, we were in our first class back this week um, after switching to remote, and uh, we had uh, both sessions this week were dedicated to what do we do about social action projects after, you know, a lot of check-in and making sure, you know, uh, we're uh, there for each other, seeing how folks are coping, things like that. But um, so we started to say, is it even appropriate to do these projects, particularly because some of them are based on things around um, food security and affordable housing for students. Um, and with all of our students now displaced from their campus or local housing, you know, it seems a bit insensitive to move forward with that at the moment. Um, or one group was working on uh, um, with our dining services staff and making sure that they have a voice um, and ways to communicate up with supervisors about their concerns. And, you know, most of those folks are, are now not working. So um, what we ended up, and this was uh, from the students themselves, yesterday we decided that our course is going to be the community for each other right now. We're going to put those projects on hold, bring them all to a kind of a natural stopping point right now, and they'll still have that kind of deliverable of all the work they've done so far in this class. But they said what they really need right now, because um, these online courses are their only connection to the college right now and to their fellow students, they said they need this space to build community amongst themselves. Um, the majority of them have said that almost all of their classes besides this one have really just tried to 
move toward delivering the same curriculum, the same topics, the same stuff, uh, just in an online format, and it just feels unnatural to them, and they feel really removed and really isolated. Um, so we're going to move forward. Hi, this is Howard Rosings from the Stain Center at Paul University in Chicago, and we are up and running um, remotely um, from our individual households in across the metropolitan area. We um, are running our service learning projects, um, research and activism work online um, and remote with um, some 50, some courses across the university. Um, very few doing any kind of direct service, obviously. Um, students are um, asked not to go off campus or go out of their houses since our campus is actually closed. Um, and um, so some students are doing online uh, ESL or working with um, doing online types of mentoring, but the vast majority of our work is now going to project-based work, working on directories, websites, game design, all different types of work, as well as activism, um, uh, getting involved in campaigns to address issues of inequity, um, especially amongst those hardest hit by this virus. Um, and we have students who are involved in research that are working on data that's coming in already um, from partners um, on um, challenges being faced by um, by those being impacted, especially our community partners. Um, so um, the work of our center also works with internships and um, works on school with schools and with paid groups of students graduate and undergraduates who, through our Egan office, are working um, still as paid interns to support schools, um, even though they're closed. Um, they're actually working to figure out how to support parents while the students are now um, at home from our K through 12 schools across the Chicago metropolitan area, but especially with our school partners in Chicago. They're also doing a lot of PD, professional development work with our interns, um, really using this time to figure out ways to be um, engaged as this crisis plays itself out in the coming months. How can we be most effective um, in using that time to use that professional development work um, to figure those questions out? Our asset-based community development institute, our partnership within the center with the ABCD Institute, um, is continuing with trainings um, that are happening um, now online and will be accessible. Um, so check out the ABCD Institute website. Hi, this is Michael Kahn. I'm calling from Stanford University, where I teach in the Urban Studies program. And I'm preparing to teach a community-engaged learning course that begins in the spring quarter, which will start at the beginning of April this year. And the course topic is gentrification. And in the class, we work on issues of housing and housing affordability, and we collaborate with organizations in the Bay Area that are addressing those issues. One way that I'm responding to the 
COVID-19 crisis is by developing a project with one of the community partners in which my students will be studying the efforts that are being made by local governments right now to address the housing impacts of that crisis. So uh, this will obviously be developing very much in real time as the quarter goes on, but we are already seeing many local jurisdictions here implementing rent relief policies, eviction uh, moratoriums, uh, mortgage extensions, and so forth. And uh, one of our community partner organizations, Silicon Valley at Home, has asked that our students research these efforts and just develop a catalog of them and also try to understand which ones are going to be most effective, who will be helped by them, how they might interact with each other, what might be some of the unintended consequences, and so forth. And uh, I think this will be certainly challenging uh, and uh, very fluid, but I think at the same time it will be very useful, very timely uh, way to make this a, a real teachable moment for the students, and also this project has the advantage that it can be done remotely, and the students will carry out the research online primarily or by phone, and that will make it possible to carry out under the current situation when the students are not able to be present on campus. Thanks. So welcome back. Um, I'm hoping that you enjoyed hearing from your colleagues from across the country on the ways that they've been uh, adapting to the COVID-19 and their response uh, on campus and with their students and community partners and faculty. So Andrew, Emily, any thoughts yeah. things that uh, stood out to you from those? I mean, some of the, it, some of the similar things that I've been thinking about and having conversations with our members about um, what does being a partner mean right now. And I really liked how Becca talked about, you know, really that one to one outreach and just taking the time to listen and check in. And I think that's important. Um, and then I was also fascinated by this idea of how do you create community? Our staff team, you know, we've done a lot of stuff on Zoom for years, so that's not necessarily new territory. What's new is that there already seems to be a lot of Zoom fatigue setting in for people. You know, when it's kind of a one off that maybe a few times a week you have a big Zoom gathering when it's like day after day, that's a lot. So we were really trying to brainstorm how do you create community in other ways? How do you create asynchronous communities? You know, some some of the similar things that I think faculty are trying to think about in their classes. You really can't just take the way you do it in person and transfer that to online. You have to think differently. And I think this is just forcing us to think more about that. And I was very interested in um, who, who was the person from University of Laverne? I'm like uh, Julissa Espinosa. Yeah, I was I was um, really interested in Julissa's take on that. Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, one of the things, too, that she mentioned was like adapting, right? Like the expectation is 20 hours. Let's do 15 for, for the semester and be responsive, you know, to mm -hmm. what we've already done and what's what's real and possible now and and not add uh, stress, but really adapt right. to, to the moment. 
Yeah, I, th- I think, I, you know, one of the things that really jumped out at me was the way that the kinds of work that always go on in civic and community engagement are, are, are it's sort of like the, the skill set that the whole university and the whole universe needs right now, which is to say a focus on listening to other people, understanding what challenges they're facing, and then figuring out how you can help address those. And you know, again, often academia is driven by its own interests, its own needs, its own timetables, especially. And, you know, it can be very hard to get people to say even, oh, yes, we could take that on next semester. You know, it's like, no, well, we have, you know, two and a half years from now, we have a free quarter or whatever. And so to hear people just kind of leading their institutions, I think, in many cases, in saying, like, this is how you engage with partners, listen, identify not what you wanted your students to be doing, but what the world needs them to be doing right now and then figure out how to help them learn from it as well. But kind of, yeah, it's just the basic ethic that that's always about our work, but it's, it's just so crystal clear to people right now. That's what has to happen. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's also understanding like everybody's being impacted by this in different ways and their housing situations and living situations are, are different. So, you know, thinking about we can't continue to necessarily operate like we operated during a time of non-pandemic. And so having compassion and grace uh, with ourselves and with each other and understanding the need for flexibility uh, and what it means to work from home or, you know, take classes from home when you have a bunch of people in the house or dogs and kids running around or, you know, parents and, and just the ability to kind of see people in their uh, home settings, I think is is something that we're being confronted with now that um, mm-hmm. we really haven't had to kind of take into consideration. And how can that create more spaces of, of grace and compassion and empathy um, for, for each other as we're moving forward and, you know, going when we come back together? I have a, a friend who's a poet. Uh, she teaches at Arizona State. Her name's Sally Ball, and she has a recent book, I always get confused whether the, I think the book is called Hold and there's a poem in it called Hold Sway or the book is called Hold Sway and there's a poem called Hold, but it doesn't matter. Um, and I mean, it matters, but it doesn't matter for what I'm saying. Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, but one of the sort of points, she writes a lot of poetry that is uh, engaged with uh, sort of, especially the big ecological environmental issues of our world. And one uh, in one of her poems, she talks about striving um, f- for all kinds of reasons, but but the way that striving and constant striving is actually a, a kind of pathology that is connected to how we are such a consumption-oriented uh, society and, and unable to think about resource use in ways that are sustainable in a, in a variety of ways. But uh, it occurs to me that I have actually heard people internalizing the idea that right now is not a moment for striving, that we actually have to be more realistic with each other in our expectations and with ourselves, and that other kinds of values are kind of moving to the front. And I think that's, you know, it's, yeah, in, in American culture, that is, uh, that's a countercultural thing that's being brought on. And, uh, you know, it's always impossible in the moment to know what lessons people will take away uh, when certain things go back to normal. And of course, all of us want certain things to go back to normal, but you hope that some things might not because normal wasn't actually working 
to begin with. And so I don't know if we learned that or not, but I think the idea of saying we can't get all the things done we wanted to, the semester I planned is not the semester that's happening. My students aren't going to do every single thing I wanted, but let's not focus on that, that kind of achievement orientation and instead focus on a kind of, uh, yeah, mutual support, mutual aid orientation and see where it gets us. That's interesting because uh, this group uh, speak out um, the Institute for Democratic Education and Culture. They're actually doing a, a webinar on April 2nd called Challenging White Supremacy Through Rest, Unpacking Work Culture in the Moment of Pause. And that, I think, gets to exactly what um, what you've you've raised. And so um, asking, I think there's a lot of talk now that I've seen around like gratitude uh, and taking that pause and spending time reflecting and, you know, where does that get us um, once this is over and come back together? Does it put us in spaces of more realistic expectations with each other? All right. I have to make an admission. I just used the internet to check my memory of the poem. And what's interesting is I was totally wrong. So the word's not strive. The word is thrive. Uh, but I think the point is exactly the same. So I'm going to stick with the, the central point I was making. Maybe Sally can now write a poem. That exactly. Yeah. Uh, I'll, I'll ask her to, to yeah. get to work on that. <laughs> Emily, any other thoughts? No, I think the only other thing is um, what, uh, the other thread I heard is just focusing on the more civic advocacy, those ways of engaging, because I think direct service does tend to be our first go-to when we think about the best ways for students to have experiences. I am forever trying to suggest other ways of engaging, and I think this moment kind of forces that too. Like direct service is not something we're doing with our students right now, but, um, and even working with a nonprofit might not be feasible for many the moment. So how are you educating yourself about issues and how they're impacting people and learning about what action leaders can be taking and advocating for them to take specific actions? And it's such a great moment for us to engage history and context and um, really think about how much our political leaders do impact and think about how we're asking them to do certain things. I mean, we're now seeing like, I don't know how after this, you can say your vote doesn't matter. These are life and death decisions in very real ways. Um, and I hope we leverage that moment as well for people to really serve by engaging in even just thinking about our political system and what it means in this moment. Yeah, that makes me think about like sort of the stock taking and inventory, particularly around uh, social safety nets and what what we have, what we don't have, what we yep. need. Uh, you know, what does it mean to be the United States and not be prepared? You know, that for me has, has come up a lot and thinking about like, what have we been taught about who we are as, as Americans and yeah. how is some of that getting demystified, right? right in this time when um, we are not all of those things that that we were taught that we are. I mean, some of us have kind of known and experienced that <laughs> non-reality for, for a while, but I think that it is something that you're seeing across the board. Um, and, and unfortunately, it's happening um, with people's lives on the line. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
I think we need to spark some joy when we get to that. Point. I think it's a spark joy <laughs> that kind of moment. Was the yeah. transition. Yes. Yeah. Thank yes. you. Thank you. Uh, so, Emily, what is sparking joy for you? Um, I will say a few things because uh, this is something like you were saying. I have been trying to do more uh, taking stock on a daily basis because the reality is that working from home with my husband and with kids that are five and seven and wanting them to continue their academic journey in some way is um, very, very overwhelming and has just been pretty hard to manage. And so just um, figuring out the joys, uh, are, it has been really helpful. And of course, having more time together as a family has has its joys. We've had some pretty hilarious conversations and our kids have opened up in some ways that maybe they wouldn't have were we not spending so much time together, in- including swearing at us, which is an interesting development. Um, but, uh, so there's that, um, we have spent time with friends remotely, including some late night Mario Kart. Uh, and so there, there are some joys there, um, as well. And, you know, coming together with our neighborhood, but of course nothing has brought more joy and distraction for me than, the Tiger King saga. Oh, hell no. (laughs) (laughs) It's so ridiculous. You'll forget where you are, what's happening. I mean, who could ask for anything more in a television show? Just every moment there's a new character where you're like, what now? How do you exist? And why are we watching you give an interview from your bathtub? (laughs) Yeah, I'm uh, I'm tapping out on that one. I <laughs> refuse to. Yeah, but what's that on your wrist? Is that a? Oh, I have some tattoos. Yeah, yeah. That's the other thing. We have been trying to shop local, and a uh, stationery store that we love um, is doing. Um, happy boxes like they're basically just putting together a bunch of stuff from their inventory as a surprise so we got ours this weekend it included several temporary tattoos so i have a unicorn fish on my wrist and rainbow hearts around this wrist awesome i like the idea of happy boxes it was Uh, it's awesome it was so cool so the assignment for our compact nation listeners is what would be in your happy box (laughs) You can call in for that one, too. I think the line will be open. (laughs) Andrew, are you ready to go with Sparks Joy? I am. Uh, So generally, well, okay. Two things that a lot of us have missed out on because of what's been going on are March Madness and live music. And so a band I think I've talked about before on the podcast because it's a band we love called The Steel Wheels a kind of Roots Americana band uh, from Harrisonburg, Virginia. They, uh, you know, they're like other musicians trying to make a living when they can't do gigs. Um, so they've been doing a bunch of online stuff and inviting donations, whatever, but kind of to gen, gen up some uh, attention and fun and whatever. They're doing a, um, a March Madness uh, of their songs. So they created a bracket of 64 of their songs and like with links, you could go listen to them all. And then the idea is like first round, everybody votes in the first round matchups. Uh, they seeded them all. So you've got 116 matchups and two fifth all the same way as the normal bracket. You vote, 
Then there's a 32 that come out of that. So that already happened. And then there'll be a Sweet 16. And then they're doing a concert of the Sweet 16. So a live online concert of the top 16. And then you get to vote your way to the, to the rest. Uh, so I just, uh, we've been, it's been fun. We ends up, you know, prompts you to end up listening to all this music and it's, uh, it's, you know, gives them an audience and hopefully people supporting them through a really difficult time for the arts community. Um, and it's just, uh, it's been great. So little March madness, little music, and uh, together, together. Going, March Madness exactly. and music together. All right, connecting okay. them both, keeping us going through this time. So that's been that's been sparking joy in our lives here Very in Roxbury. Cool. Very cool. So let me see. I think for me, uh, I think I mentioned at the beginning of the podcast. Like I submitted my uh, dissertation manuscript, so I'm uh, waiting to set the day for my defense. But in anticipation of that defense, so this is a personal uh, sparks joy. I ordered my tiara that says Dr. Morales, um, and so once I uh, defend and pass, I will proudly put that on, and uh, we'll share a picture of that on our Compact Nation uh, website when when that happens, um, or on our compact.org webpage. You mean it'll be um, on, on the front page of the organizational website? I yeah, think. absolutely. Yeah. I mean, that's going to be my... For months, uh, I would assume. My, yeah. Maybe for a whole year. I'm just, you know, until I get used to the doctor title. Um, <laughs> so that's my personal sparks joy. Uh, I think my kind of more uh, worldly uh, sparks joy is um, just seeing the way that uh, people are stepping up and being creative um, and supportive with one another. And that um, in the midst of all of this, like uh, you see a real human spirit for connection uh, developing. And so I've got some friends who are planning a sip and paint uh, virtual party uh, that we're going to be doing or, you know, um, ways that people are donating kind of things that they have in their house to local medical um, response and um, the ways the governors are, are stepping up and, and taking leadership and, um, you know, some of our leaders, um, but more than anything, you know, on the ground community people, um, all that is sparking a lot of joy for me at this moment of madness. So, all right. So um, there's a couple of things I think before we end, um, and one, we want to plug our um, Campus Compact virtual conference that will be happening May 13th, 11th through the 13th. Again, that's May 11th through the 13th is our um, virtual conference. You can go to conference.compact.org to find out more information and sign up for notifications. We're really excited about the, the lineup. And um, we're sad to not have been able to be with people in person um, this year, but wanted to move the love online. And so we will be doing that uh, May 11th through um, the 13th. Um, so that's it for us right now with Compact Nation podcast. Thanks for listening. And as always, don't forget to rate and review our show. If you have any questions or suggestions, email us at podcast at compact.org or chime in on social media uh, at hashtag compact nation pod. We'd love to hear from you. And thanks to all the folks who contributed, uh, leaving messages, um, and the ones that we shared, we really appreciated hearing from our members on what, what they're doing uh, in response to COVID-19. Until next time. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.
Compact Nation podcast comes to you from Campus Compact's national headquarters in the Leather District of Boston, Massachusetts. Our hosts are Marisol Morales, Emily Shields, and me, Andrew Seligson. Our producer is Molly Altiorem Leeper. Music is by Andrew Savage. You can find more of his music at andrewsavage.net. As always, you can find us online at compact.org slash podcast or on social media at hashtag compactnationpod. Thanks for listening. I am the podcast.